0: Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. I learned everything there is to know about grieving from a kindergartner named Maya who died on the same January morning that the Challenger Space Shuttle exploded. Maya was five years old, an adorable, spunky redhead in my religious education program in Brewster on Cape Cod. I was alone in the church when her father, David, called, frantic, asking me to come because who knows what to do when a child has died at the end of her driveway, while her mother, Diane, holding the baby, looked out the kitchen window and watched as she was struck and killed by her school bus. I will tell you that right away I knew that my God was not big enough. It was terrible timing, realizing the inadequacy of my theology just when I needed it most. But it catapulted me onto a spiritual path that made it possible for me to lead as the AIDS crisis erupted in Provincetown. Years later, the person who was supposed to introduce Rabbi Howard Kushner failed to appear at a gathering who had come to hear the venerated pastor and author speak about his book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. I was pressed into service and so given the opportunity in that very public setting to thank him for sharing his God with me. Not the God that causes suffering or looks on dispassionately as we suffer. Not the God that has disappeared altogether. But a God that suffers with us. A God that rushes in after a crisis and companions us in the comforting shape of people and animals and nature and music and books and silence. What did Maya's death teach me about grief? First, I saw how different it is for each of us. The common threads are a sense of walking underwater, desperate for air, or as if we have lost a limb, or that our hearts are literally breaking. We sleep only fitfully or we sleep all the time. We can't eat or all we can do is eat. We are depressed and without affect or restless to the point of a jagged mania. There are always those who think they might catch something in speaking with us as if tragedy were contagious. It's not that they're bad people. I suspect it's because they're clueless about how to help after my friend Stanley's wife was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, which is another kind of death. Stanley was pushing a cart through the supermarket one afternoon when he caught a glimpse of an old friend passing the end of the aisle. His friend had clearly seen him, but slipped away without speaking. Stanley was devastated. This is important. Avoidance is unacceptable. May Cheever and her husband Dan were long reigning and much beloved elders here at Arlington Street. On the Saturday night after May died, I explained to my young daughters that Dan would be in church the next day and that it was very important that they speak with him. I said, Dr. Cheever is very, very sad. You just have to find him and say, I'm so sorry May died. That's all. The next morning, they broke away from me and raced into church to find him. Jamie, the elder, repeated exactly what I had said, and Dan said, Thank you. And it was enough. I wasn't sure that Jessie had entirely understood, but she sidled right up to him took his hand, and stood beside him. People came up to greet him, but she never let go. She sat with him through the service, leaning into him a little. I'm not sure she spoke at all. But it was enough. It was more than enough. We don't need to say much, or maybe we don't need to say anything. What we need to do is show up, just go. I remember helping my grandmother bake a quick bread, which we would bring to the bereaved. Early in my ministry, in the spirit of what would Nana do, I would stop at home to bake a quick bread before heading out to visit, until my mentor Jim Robinson said, you can forget the bread, just go. Still, the dozens and dozens of frozen pizzas that filled and overfilled David and Diane's freezer in the days and months after Maya's death represented a lot of concern and caring. Showing up empty-handed is better than not showing up, but showing up with food is even better. If we can bear it, it's important to listen. Shakespeare wrote, give sorrow words. The grief that does not speak whispers the o'er-fraught heart and bids it break. Diane's trauma was so terrible that she needed to tell the story over and over and over. In between long periods of silence, she would ask me suddenly, did you see it? No, I would say, tell me. As often as she told her shattering story, the end could never be changed each time Maya died again. Each time, tears streamed down my cheeks, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And then one day, after day upon day, something shifted. Diane's eyes cleared for a moment, and she said, Oh, you're crying too. In that moment, I knew she was going to survive. Show up. And just listen. Rabindranath Tagore, Bengali polymath of literature, music, and art, wrote of someone he loved who had died. Those who are near to me do not know that you are nearer to me than they are. Those who speak to me do not know that my heart is full with your unspoken words. Those who crowd my path do not know that I am walking alone with you. Those who love me do not know that their love brings you to my heart. No surprise that I'm a huge fan of memorial services well done. Readings and music that the person would have loved, eulogies that make us cry and laugh, these are a bomb. But at least as important are the days and weeks after the service, when the flowers and the food and the sympathy cards stop coming, when the house is quiet and there's a gaping hole at the dinner table. Then the hard work of the next phase of grieving begins in earnest. Grieving needs some privacy, some solitude perhaps, but not isolation. We might think, you know, I'm not going to call now because I don't want to upset them by bringing up their loved one. Trust me, they're always thinking of their loved one. (laughs) Make the call. There is healing in the sound of the human voice. Can we be a safe harbor for a flood of tears? Can we dare to enter into that loneliness with them? Calling is another way to show up. Grieving takes a lot of energy and a lot of strength. Grieving is exhausting. Sooner or later, though, the person who grieves will feel better if they get up and about rather than spending the day closed in a darkened room. A woman took to bed after her husband died and lay there day after day until one of her kids came to her bedside and announced, Mom, we're out of peanut butter. With that, she rejoined the living. A grieving friend said to my colleague, Mark Bellatini, I'm not over the grief, but I just realized the sky is blue. My colleague J.T. Morrow tells the story of visiting a man who had lost his son. The man's hobby was refinishing furniture. When J.T. got to his house, he said, come on, let's go down to the basement. Together, they sanded a table. Hours later, as JT was leaving, the man said, this is the first time I felt I could go on living. Notice that JT didn't say, would you like to go down to the basement? Best not to ask. We can say, I'm going to the movies at 7 o'clock. I'll swing by to pick you up at 6.30. And if you arrive and they just can't go, you can stay for a while and try again another day. One of my great teachers, a Mexican immigrant whose name I don't know, said, today you, tomorrow me. None of us will escape loss and grief. We are all in this together and can be there for one another. All of us can ease the pain and hold out the possibility of peace, as the psalmist writes, peace and joy in the morning. The most beautiful song about grieving I know was written by one of Massachusetts finest, Bob Frankie. It's called For Real, and it begins, Death took the husband of a neighbor of mine on a highway with a drunk at the wheel. She told me, keep your clean hands off the laundry he left and don't tell me you know how I feel. She had a tape that he'd sent her from a holiday inn and she never played it much in the day. But when I heard him say he loved her through the window at night, I just stayed the hell away. There's a hole in the middle of the prettiest life, so the lawyers and the prophets say not your father, nor your mother, nor your lover's ever going to make it go away. And there's too much darkness in an endless night to be ashamed of the way we feel. Let's be kind to one another. Not forever, but for real. Some say God is a lover. Some say it's an endless void. Some say both, and some say she's angry, and some say just annoyed. But if God felt a palm, a hammer in the palm of his hand, then God knows the way we feel. And love lasts forever, forever. And for real. Beloved spiritual companions, may we show up, say, I'm sorry, or don't say anything, just listen, and so love the bereaved back from the land of the dead to the land of the living. Weeping. May endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning, and love lasts forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at